Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Future of Curriculum. Um, I'm Eric Westendorf, the co-founder and CEO at LearnZillion. Uh, great to have folks back and really excited today to be talking to Rebecca Kochler. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is the assistant superintendent of academics at the Louisiana Department of Education. Now, one of the... Uh, amazing things about Louisiana is that um, they are actually the fastest improving state in the country when it comes to the ACT and, and AP exams. And Rebecca has been playing a key role from the state leadership perspective when it comes to thinking about curriculum and assessment and, and how to keep the state moving um, at, at this sort of accelerated pace of improvement. So specifically, she's focused on um, creating a comprehensive academic support model uh, that's focused on helping teachers, principals, and districts get the resources they need and the support they need to integrate curriculum with assessment and with teacher evaluation. And uh, to that end, uh, Louisiana has worked to actually build a, a complete English language arts, arts curriculum. And I should mention in the beginning, LearnZillion has been a, a partner in that work, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that but super exciting. She's also redesigned the statewide assessment system um, and uh, aligned the curriculum with their statewide interim assessment system. Uh, they also do a lot of, of um, preparation. They have an advanced principal fellowship program and they train a cohort of over 5,000 teacher leaders every quarter in Louisiana. Uh, previously, Rebecca was a middle school history and science teacher in Newark, New Jersey. And um, just so excited, Rebecca, to be getting to talk shop with you today about the future of curriculum. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Super. Well, let's dive right in. Uh, there may be some folks who know about the great work you're doing in Louisiana when it comes to curriculum, but my guess is there are lots of folks where they don't necessarily know uh, the, the, the role that you and the state are playing when it comes to Louisiana's curriculum. So would love to have you share with us um, a little bit about that work? Great. Um, sure. So we started taking on curricular work about four years ago when we were making the transition to higher standards. <clears throat> and I think early on didn't necessarily think curriculum was the role of the state and a set of work that we were going to necessarily take on. Um, that changed very quickly and it really started from a group of 100 teachers, we call them our teacher leader advisors. We brought this incredible group of teachers together right away when we were making the transition <clears throat> and we wanted them to help guide the work that we were doing and so the more we spent time with them, the more we talked to them, they told us a couple of things. First they said we need better tools in our hands and we don't know where to find them. And second, they said, you just need to get in front of a lot of us and bring us together a lot and train us. Interesting. Okay, so better tools. Decided that if we were going to make change, we had to go as aggressively after the curriculum work as we do after the quality of assessment work as well um, that states often take on. So we started early, um, again, about four years ago, three and a half years ago, and the first thing we said was we just need to figure out what's out there and help people navigate it. Everyone was putting stickers on their program, saying they were aligned to the new standards. Um, there were tons of online resources, and we people just didn't know what was quality and what wasn't. So we started by just reviewing programs, um, 
full curricular programs for math and English and posting those reviews publicly on our website, which are still available. And we took a pretty hard line. We said, you know, we're, we know that um, putting quality in front of kids and giving it to teachers is what's going to help them all learn fastest. And so we're going to be very um, rigorous in the degree to which we say something is actually fully aligned to our new standards. And we found very, very few programs that were aligned. And so after we reviewed programs, we helped districts make sense of what quality was and why it mattered. We then realized that the market just wasn't changing fast enough, and we had to create um, materials where there were holes in the system. So that's when we sort of went down the path of actually trying to create um, our ELA program, which was, in, when we were looking at the time, the biggest hole in the market. Interesting. The last thing I'll just say, um, Eric, is I, you know, I think early on I, we did this initially as a way to give teachers resources that they needed and respond to their needs. I think I also very quickly learned that curriculum was a tool to get really good books and really good math tasks in front of a lot of kids every single day, um, especially as we were trying to train a lot of new teachers on our new standards. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the curriculum teachers were using most often guided, you know, the copies that they put in front of kids and the books that they put in students' hands. And by changing the curriculum alone, you could, you know, in a matter of a very short period of time, dramatically change the kind of daily experiences students were having. And I think we realized very quickly that curriculum was a powerful lever for that. That's interesting. So in a way, what I hear you saying is the curriculum sets sort of the default for what activities, what learning activities are happening and what materials uh, students and teachers are working with. And that having um, some influence over that default was, was, was something that became really important to you. Yeah, helping teachers find the highest quality default as they learned the new standards, figured out how to make adjustments, that the thing they were gonna go back to day over day was going to be high quality for students. That really mattered to us, and frankly, it really mattered to our districts and our teachers. Interesting. And and so that approach. Talk to me about that sort of lever, the curriculum versus like professional development as a lever, because I know other states and certainly districts often will start there and say, let's um, talk about uh, what pedagogy makes sense in the classroom. Let's focus on that and then we'll sort of take care of materials second once we get that understanding in place. But it sounds it sounds like you approached it differently. We did. We did some very early training, of course, on the shifts in our new standards and how the new standards worked. They were really different than our previous Louisiana standards. But I think Part of this also came from just doing a lot of classroom observations at that time and talking to a lot of teachers. And they just kept saying, we don't know what this looks like. Like, we get the idea of coherence, sort of theoretically. We get the idea of depth. We get the idea of reading books that matter. But day to day, what does that mean? And I'm looking at a program or a curriculum with problem sets in it, and do I have to adjust every problem set? Do I have to adjust all the books in this program? Does that mean I can't? You know, there was a really concreteness that teachers felt like they were missing. Mm -hmm. And training on the shifts or on math content alone wasn't helping them grab a hold of exactly what to do tomorrow. And 
that meant very little was actually translating back to the classroom consistently in what we saw and what we heard from teachers. And so what we've found is that by actually starting with curriculum as the entry point and then hanging all of your content-based training, your standards training on the curriculum, um, teachers had a much easier time getting more concrete about what coherence looked like and why it was important, about what um, conceptual-based tasks in math actually looked like and how to facilitate them for students. Because there was a sample and a something to go from and to see what that was actually going to look like for their kids. So we've, we've actually, I sort of agree, like our instinct is to start with training them and then have tools follow or help teachers create tools. Thanks to our teachers, we actually went the reverse route and have seen so much success and so much faster growth, both in what our teachers understand about the standards and also in lots of places with our students as a result of sort of flipping that order of operations. And when you say thanks to the teachers, I'm assuming that that sort of the teacher leader advisors who you talked to early on uh, helped drive this. Exactly. They really pushed us to get them better tools in their hands yeah. fast. They said, we can't wait two years. We need stuff now. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, what have you, I'm curious what, as you've taken on this challenge and gone, gone on this journey around um, both looking at assessments and, and scoring them, uh, pointing out what's high quality, but then in the case of ELA, in fact, uh, creating an ELA curriculum, what, what have you learned in the process and what's been, what have been some of the biggest surprises along the way? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, first, I would say, um, well, first I would say that I do, I think I was just surprised at how quickly we started to see curriculum having an impact in our classrooms and with our teachers. I sort of didn't even personally expect that. So within a year and a half, when we started looking at our end of year results, for example, our of our top 20 top growth districts and our top 20 top growth schools, 19 of 20 of them were using the highest quality curriculum. It was the most common thing across our top growth schools and districts, like very quickly. We're talking like, again, a year and a half of implementation. Um, and I think the RAND report that came out, again, I didn't even know the RAND report was happening, um, but they interviewed a number of teachers across five states to learn about the degree to which teachers actually understood the new standards that they were teaching. And on a number of indicators, Louisiana teachers were like 30 plus points higher than any of the other states in the survey. And again, we were coming from a place where our standards were dramatically different. That survey was taken again about two and a half years after we started implementing new standards. And I really credit a lot of that growth, not completely, but certainly a part of it, to curriculum. Again, it made it concrete. It showed teachers what it looked like, and I just genuinely did not even expect that pace of growth and improvement. Well, that's really, um, really exciting to see. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's been really interesting. I think, and it's actually really spurred a lot of other districts to feel more urgent themselves about bringing in good curriculum because they're seeing it really work, and when they talk to other folks, they're hearing that curriculum is a part of the story. Um, I think a couple of other things I would say, one, we brought a group of teachers together because we just felt like you know, none of us at the state were actually having to teach the new standards and we wanted to hear from them. 
I just can't even believe how critical their voice was and continues to be in our work. They helped us really fine-tune our strategy. They helped us build everything we have. They've helped us communicate that to other teachers. They're the ones who lead our trainings and write our newsletters. They've been absolutely instrumental, and it just the work would not have happened without an incredible group of teachers who just led the way. Um, and I really just don't think it would have been as high quality. Um, we worked with a lot of other national experts as we created our own curriculum and, of course, wanted their voice and wanted to make sure the work was extremely rigorous. But ha actually having teachers practice and use those lessons in their classrooms with students and give us feedback before we finalize them had a huge influence on the kinds of things we did, both in the content and in the structure of those units. Um, and then I would say, honestly, the last surprise was, one, it's really hard. It's just really hard to create a really good curriculum. Um, I have some awesome teachers and some great content experts and worked with some of the best folks on your team and in other places. And it just takes exceptional focus and thoroughness and um, it's just really hard. So, you know, I just think it requires a lot of expertise and I've been surprised how slow the market has been to adjust and to help fill that need for people. And I see so many teachers and districts feeling like they have to create so much themselves and given how much expertise it takes, I'm sort of surprised that there's not more um, coordination, sharing, and more from the market, frankly, um, in, in the curricular world. Yeah, yeah, that's, it's interesting, because on the one hand, what you've learned is that the, the lever of curriculum in terms of its power to put the right tools in finger in the fingertip at the fingertips of um, teachers, the the power is even sort of greater than you imagined when you start, and yet to the extent that that districts on their own try to sort of invent that lever, you, you've also learned, boy, it's it's really takes a lot of work. It really takes a lot of thoughtfulness, and it's it's hard to do by yourself. Um, Yes, yeah. to both of those things. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I want to go back to your point about the role of teachers and their voice, because one of the things that I think many states, uh, state leaders, district leaders struggle with is sort of how to be relevant to teachers. You know, we suddenly live in an age where teachers can access lots and lots of content through Pinterest and through Google. And, and it sometimes I think feels like there's this Wild West going on, and districts um, in the past had a huge influence because they would, you know, adopt a, a textbook. I'm, I'm curious now. Now it seems like it sounds like you got real um, buy-in and, and were able to figure out a bottom-up approach where teachers weren't just sort of weighing in; they they were really helping to lead the way. And I'm curious what advice you'd give to state leaders and district leaders in this sort of changing landscape around um, how to really sort of lead through support and, and lead by um, listening to, to what teachers' needs are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a couple of things. I think one is I find sometimes in our system we, the first I would say is genuinely listen. Um, so. I think that we find in our system, and I hear from people all the time, 
you know, well, teachers are just complaining about that because they don't get it, or teachers are just, they just don't want to do this, or, you know, this, or they sort of write it off and, like, we know what's best. Um, they're, we just need to, like, tell them to do it. And, you know, if they're complaining, it's just because they don't get it fully, you know. And I just think that's so personally misguided. Um, one, if they don't get it, there's a reason for that, you know, first of all. But probably they get it. Our teachers are smart people. And they care about their kids. And they want to do right by their kids for the most part. And if they don't get it or they're not doing it, it's not because they are just deliberately not trying to do right by their kids. It's There's some reason. And... I think the more we got out and just genuinely listened to teachers and built relationships so people felt like they could be really honest with us, the more you realize there's real meat and substance there. Like some of the things we heard were, the new curricula is great, but it's so cumbersome to use. Like literally I spend more time just trying to understand how the lessons work than I did even just creating my own stuff previously. Okay, that's really good for us to know. We can do something about that. That's why we worked with you all and tried to create a platform where the teacher guidance was much simpler and cleaner to use. We can provide certain trainings to help with that. You know, the more you sort of listen to teachers, you realize there's real stuff holding them back from doing their jobs well, which is what they most want to do. And I just think it's helped us create tools and resources that are so much more genuine and real. And bringing our teachers in to help us, again, one, just helped our stuff be so much better, but two, those teachers really felt ownership over that work, and I think that's the second lesson I would say is, um, you know, teachers will fight for things that they believe in, and they often do, and their voice is incredibly powerful with parents, with students, um, with legislators. I just think they have one of the most powerful voices in our system, and so, you know, bring teachers in alongside. I see our teacher leader advisors really as a part of our team. And I think when they've built something that they believe in and they really understand it and they really have seen how it works for their students, they're going to want to fight for that. And, I, um, and, and they're going to want to communicate that and they're going to have excitement when they talk to parents about it. And I think that is just really critical to success. The third thing I would say is it doesn't have to be difficult. I think folks will often say, oh, we can't bring teachers together because we don't have enough money or, you know, or they create these really formal, like, committees and, you know, I just don't think it has to be that formal necessarily either. Um, you know, we try to get out into schools during the fall and winter at least every other week. We try to talk to teachers and hold focus groups every time we're in schools and, and talk with principals and, frankly, talk with students as well. Um, we try to, you know, build this group of 100 experts from across our state that we just built really close relationships with. We can bring them in for formal conversations, and we can also just call them and say, we're really struggling with this. What do you think? Um, and they'll give us their honest answer and help test something out or talk to other teachers in their community. We also don't even have to be the people to do it. They can be set up and positioned to go and collect feedback from a lot of teachers and bring it back to us and share it. So I think... Um, you have to genuinely listen. You actually have to change things if you're going to listen. You can't just yeah. listen and say you're going to do stuff and then do whatever you want. I think, too, you have to find a way to um, put teachers out front in the work, again, in a genuine way. And three, I think um, there are a lot of easy and informal ways to bring teachers into your work. It doesn't have to be super complicated. Yeah. I love that. It makes me think of um, 
this book called The Obstacle is the Way, uh, where like from your perspective, instead of being sort of frustrated by teachers um, pointing out things that get in their way, actually saying we need to listen because figuring out what those obstacles are and then figuring out what it would mean to remove those obstacles or build paths around those obstacles is sort of the key to our work. And, and in the process, generates this incredible sense of like joint ownership um, where, where the teachers are, are really helping to design think around how to, how to solve that problem and move forward. Um, mm -hmm. And so it just flips the idea of an obstacle being a problem to an obstacle being a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really played out for us a lot. Yeah, very cool. Rebecca, talk to us about some of the trends you're seeing. So, you know, you're like have been um, making a lot of progress really quickly in Louisiana. When you sort of zoom out and think about some of the patterns you're seeing and sort of where we might be three, five, seven years from now, what, what are some of the patterns you're seeing and trends that you think will uh, will either continue or sort of need to be continued? Yeah, I think one is the idea of high-quality, coherent, open educational or OER resources being a really powerful part of the system. I think we've always thought of OER as like item banks where you search for lessons or you know Pinterest lessons. And I think the idea that you can have a really high-quality, coherent curriculum that helps show the arc of learning over a year is a powerful one and one I'm not sure folks always thought could happen. And, you know, huge um, thanks, frankly, to the folks in New York who led the charge in, in thinking that that was possible. Um, and I think the reason that's been so powerful is because you get all of these other people in the system to be able to use curriculum as a lever. So, for example, in our system, you know, we have our higher ed and teacher preparation programs who want to use those curricular tools as a basis for their training. That's really powerful if a teacher's coming out of a prep program having looked at the same math program they're gonna go and teach when they go into their classroom. And frankly, having just learned through a concrete tool in the same way teachers learn through concrete tools. We see an ability to work with a more diverse set of professional development groups because that curriculum is open and a number of different people who provide professional development in a whole host of different settings can help serve the diverse needs of our districts versus it just having to be one way because the people who own that curriculum only provide one type of PD. Um, I think there's this whole set of wraparound resources that just are possible and a more expansive group of people who get to leverage the power of the curriculum through the role of OER full curricular tools. So that I think has just been interesting to see and understand and I think will con just continue, frankly, to grow. Um, I think that one real challenge I see right now in the system is how to support students with really diverse learning needs. And I think especially with the transition to our new standards, they were, for us in Louisiana, significantly more rigorous than our previous standards. And so 
when I see a curriculum not working well for a teacher or a group of students, it's often because the teacher feels like their students just aren't ready for it, and so they sort of abandon it and don't know what to do. And I just don't think, just like a lot of other curricular tools haven't, a lot of the remediation struggling student support tools also have not caught up with the kinds of learning that the standards demand for students. And I think we need to create resources that fit in and connect to the curricular tools to help teachers better teach struggling students. And again, the great thing when it's an OER curriculum is that a lot of different interesting vendors with different and unique expertise can come in and create those materials that bridge into that, like some of the work, for example, Zern is doing with Eureka Math or Khan Academy is doing with different programs. Um, and that is just really powerful, but I think we have to be deliberate about connecting those resources for teachers, or it is going to just continue to feel like this massive marketplace of stuff that they don't know how to sift through and how to use and how to connect for students, and you lose what matters so much, which is a really meaningful arc of learning for students, and you start to go back to the piecemeal setting. Great, great. Um, in a way, it sounds like this challenge uh, of how do we support students um, with diverse needs that you have some hopefulness that the trend around OER can lead to some innovation around how to how to address that. Yeah, and it's been so much faster than the places where again you just have one person who owns that copyright and you just hope that they're going to create a series of resources to fit with that and maybe they will and maybe they won't. You have no idea when they will. The pace at which other people are coming out with really high-quality OER programs and building wraparound tools for that, not just in the teacher professional development side, but also in struggling student side or ELL student side, is really fast comparatively, and I think that's really promising. Awesome. Talk, uh, Rebecca, you've, you've talked a little bit about the interplay between curriculum and professional development. Curious also, when you think about curriculum and how professional development supports it, also where assessment fits into that and sort of thinking about some of the trends and where we might be in five years. How do you see those three pieces fitting together? We've been um, really strong in our message that building a coherent academic system at the district level not only means you take on all three of those components, and frankly at the state level as well, but that those three components work together and speak to each other. We've really put curriculum at the center of that, and so the first most important choice is an extremely high quality curriculum. Then from that comes the professional development that connects to that curriculum. And so we even tell our vendors who lead professional development that just do content-based professional development, you know, we won't even bring them into our trainings with our teachers unless they're able through that content training to connect it to the curriculum in a concrete way for teachers. And we get so much feedback from our teachers that that is really, really beneficial. So I, I think for us, professional development connected to curriculum has been an absolute non-negotiable. The assessment piece of that, especially local assessments and more formative assessments, can be both easy and tricky. On the easy side, I think a good curriculum has really good formative assessment built in. And so they have good tasks, um, 
and they have good instruction for teachers on how to make sense of those tasks. And in our English curriculum, for example, we have exemplars for teachers as well and hope over time to have annotated sort of examples of student work at different levels that help teachers really set a bar, especially in English, I think that can be so tricky. So with a great curriculum, you get just a whole host of both great formative assessment and really good tools and guidance for teachers. I think this idea of benchmark assessments is the most complicated one, and I think we still have a system that just really relies on benchmark assessments. In our system, we're really trying to push a cleanup of those assessments. One, I think we just need to reduce them. I, I think we get a ton of data um, that we don't use, that doesn't speak to each other. When you talk to teachers, they're like, yeah, we give these Friday quizzes every Friday that the district requires, but I don't even see the data. I have no idea what it means. And or they can't always connect it back to their curriculum because it doesn't assess the same content or in the same way. So we've, in Louisiana, built both a formative assessment system and a benchmarking system that we anchor against our most used curricula in our state and then help teachers and provide guidance around the results so that teachers can do something substantive with those results and they can connect it back to the instructional decisions that they're making with their curriculum. I think without those connections, the assessment just becomes a weird set of data that you make sort of inappropriate decisions with. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's harder to connect that, but I think there's a way, and I think it's really important that we do for teachers. And, and you're, it sounds like, very focused on how does that get connected in a way that can, um, again, be a support to teachers, actually help them more thoughtfully make decisions on behalf of the students they care a lot about and do so in ways that like logically make sense, that are, that are practical, that affect sort of how they think about tomorrow and next week um, and, and the instruction in their classroom. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Great. Great. Well, Rebecca, we could, um, keep going on here. It is so great to, I mean, I've gotten to talk to you many times about the work you've been doing in Louisiana, but in a way it's a treat to just sort of have this, uh, 25, 30 minutes to hear you explain the story sort of all at once and talk about your thinking, um, around, why you've done what you've done and the sort of impact um, it's made. And I suspect a lot of district leaders and state leaders listening to this um, are going are gonna, to uh, be able to borrow uh, insights from, from your example. So really appreciate you uh, talking this morning and, and, and joining the uh, Future of Curriculum. Thank you for having me. It was great. And I just feel very lucky to work with you all as a partner in a lot of this work and my team and our teachers. So thank you for letting me share, frankly, their work and highlighting some of the stuff they've been doing down here in Louisiana. So thank you.